Is everything you know about Jesus from the Bible or from another person? We all have a picture of Jesus in our head. Similar to the classic paintings that hang in homes or have been hanging in churches for hundreds of years. We have an image of who Jesus is and what he's all about. But I must ask, where do we get this information? It's impossible to separate sometimes the truth that we read in scripture from the myth and the legend that gets perpetuated by culture. In this series, we want to separate myth from fact and paint a clear picture of who Jesus is based only on the Bible. Confusion about Jesus for most of us can start as early as his birth. Did you know that the nativity scene that you set out at Christmas is most likely inaccurate? The wise men and the shepherds were not both at the site of Jesus' birth. The wise men visited much later. And while they did bring three gifts, we don't know how many of them came to visit Jesus. This isn't some big deal. I mean, it's nothing to lose sleep over. But it shows us how easily something can become truth in our minds. Oh, that's in the Bible. I'm sure I've read that somewhere. The danger in having a misinformed view of Jesus or an incomplete view of Jesus is that we can end up on the wrong path, chasing after the wrong things, being led in the wrong direction. To truly follow Jesus is to truly know Jesus. Today, our big idea is an incomplete picture of Jesus is not enough for full life. We want all of us to have a full picture of who Jesus is that's based on the Word of God. Not from your faded memory, not from tradition, not from the mouth of others, but to dive in for ourselves and discover who Jesus really is. Here are some things that maybe you know about Jesus but maybe you didn't. He was born to a virgin, and his earthly father wanted to divorce Mary quietly until an angel appeared to him, telling him that the baby was from God. That's found in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 35. He spent much of his childhood living as a refugee in a foreign land trying to avoid being murdered. Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 21. He grew up in a blue-collar home. Jesus had brothers and sisters. No one would have thought that he was a king. Matthew chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. He was a brilliant prodigy and amazed the smartest scholars of his day. Luke chapter 2, 46 through 52. He was not of this world. He was a true alien. He was only visiting this planet. You are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. That's John chapter 8, verse 23. And maybe you knew most of this, but maybe you didn't. And maybe you want to look up some of these scriptures and see for yourself. Today we want to look at that last fact about Jesus. That idea that Jesus is not from around here. While being fully human, Jesus is also fully God. John chapter 1, verse 1 writes Jesus' origin story like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
and Genesis 1-1 tell us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John tells us that at the same beginning Jesus was with God, that Jesus was God. Uh, we will come back to John chapter 1 to get the full effect of this. Uh, but John calls Jesus the word. The Greek word is logos, a word that we get the word logo from or symbol. If I see a swoosh, I see Nike. It doesn't have to say it, but I know what it is. Jesus is the physical representation of God. When we see Jesus, we see God. From the beginning of time, Jesus, the Son, has been with God. So when he came to earth, he came as a visitor. This is not his home. He's from somewhere else. Sometimes as Christians, we might refer to ourselves as visitors here on earth, understanding that this is not our permanent home, that we have a promise of a new home, an eternal home. Some translations of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 has Peter calling us aliens. This idea is clear. We don't belong here. The way of the world doesn't match this new reality of the kingdom of heaven that our eyes have been opened to. But when we talk about Jesus, we're saying that he lived outside of earth for an unimaginable amount of time, that he spent time with the Father in his presence. So with that perspective, with that history, this place, earth, was very different for him. While we can understand that earth is not our permanent home, Jesus was always a visitor here. This idea of fully God and fully man is hard to grasp. I'm not going to go all theologian on you and pretend to fully understand all the mystery that is the nature of God and the nature of Jesus. There is this event that's captured in Scripture that shows the duality of it very well, though. It's found in Mark chapter 4. This is this type of story that I love to tell. I love to lean into the details and ask questions and try to fill in gaps. For today, though, and this series, I really want you to hear the event from the Word of God. That way, you can see that what's being described in Scripture so if you've got a Bible, turn it to Mark 4, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is on a boat. He's sleeping in the stern. This is the most human thing Jesus can do. It demonstrates his need for rest. Jesus gets tired. A storm breaks out. Jesus's followers come and get him, waking him up, fearing for their lives. 
Jesus speaks to the storm. Quiet, be still. And it listens. His followers once were afraid of the storm, but now scripture tells us that they are terrified of Jesus. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. On the human side, Jesus naps. On the God side, he speaks to the storm and it obeys him. In this one small event, we see the dual nature of Jesus. The home, not at home. Have you ever been woken from a nap? Jesus' mood was probably not the best. He would have probably loved a cup of coffee in that moment. Instead, he gets winding disciples. Jesus speaks to the storm like I might speak to my boys when I walk in and find them full-on WrestleMania in their bedroom. I'll tell you that Jesus' voice is far more effective than mine. Who is this man that he can speak to the weather like an unruly child? If this was a movie or a TV show, it wouldn't take long to recognize that Jesus was different. That Jesus was not from around here. So what? Jesus is both fully human and fully God. What's that even mean? Well, for me, it helps to know that Jesus came and lived a human life. He knows what it's like. He can understand. That's the napping part of the boat story. It's also comforting to know that he's fully God. So while he understands our pain and suffering, our joy and our sorrow, because he lived it, he's also God. So he can do something about it. Let's not forget that he's our redeemer. That's the calming the storm part. We have a God who knows us and came to dwell amongst us. We have a God with the power to save us, to rescue us, to set us free. Our big idea is an incomplete picture of Jesus is not enough for full life. And in order to have full life in Jesus, we need to truly know him. We can't have half the story. We need to know who Jesus really is if we want to be his followers. The Hebrew writer offers us this glimpse of who Jesus is. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. That's Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. After Jesus' baptism, he was taken away into the wilderness for 40 days. Matthew records the event in chapter 4 of his gospel. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, 
if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was tempted in every way we are. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The devil challenged his identity as a son of God. The devil even used scripture to tempt him, twisting it into his own agenda. That's why this series is so important, that we don't have an incomplete picture of Jesus, but a full one. In every temptation, Jesus defended himself with the word of God. What do you do when your identity in God is challenged? When the enemy tries to tell you you're not good enough, what do you do when you're offered shortcuts, when you're offered fame or fortune, and all you have to do is to compromise the truth? You see, we don't have a savior and king who doesn't understand what it's like to be us because he was one of us. You might think, Jesus isn't like me. He doesn't know what it's like to be me. He was hungry. He was misunderstood. He was betrayed. He was sad. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Not only can he empathize with us, but he can also help us in our weakness. When we hear about temptation, I'm always drawn back to this verse in 1 Corinthians. As a kid who grew up in the church, summer camp was a huge deal. Every summer, I could be found at Whitewater Christian Camp. I would do as many weeks of camp as possible. I was probably 11 or 12, but I can remember where I was sitting when a leader taught us to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And they told us that it was a tool that we could use when we felt temptations come. That we could repeat this verse in our head and that God would protect us. The verse goes like this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here's a few things that we can learn from this verse. Number one, your temptation is common. That means that you are not alone. You're not going through something that everyone else hasn't gone through. Even Jesus. Stop thinking that you're the only one dealing with this. Number two, God is faithful. There's a promise in this verse. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. God keeps his promises. Number three, there's a way out. God's promise is a way out. Always be looking for a way out. This verse can be a way out. Prayer can be a way out. Jesus quoted scripture to the devil as a way out. There is always a way out. Now, I don't want you to think that this is some kind of secret trick. Do it and you'll never give in to temptation again. Remember, Jesus lived here, but he was not from here. He was human and tempted in every way that we are. 
but he was also God. And he did not give in to temptation. Fully God and fully human. We, however, are not God. We fail. But in this passage, I think we get a great game plan on how to handle temptation, how to successfully avoid sin. We need to stop looking at Jesus through the lens of tradition. We need to stop looking at Jesus from a grade school perspective. We need to open our Bibles and begin to explore who Jesus really is. An incomplete picture of Jesus is not enough for full life. I need to begin to see that Jesus is from heaven. He came here for us, for you, for me. That means we have a Savior who knows us. We have a Lord who knows what it's like to be us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But because he's from heaven, because he's the Son of God, he can do something about it. I want to read over what John wrote about Jesus in his gospel. I want you to listen to these words as John describes who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And there's so much there. But I love verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus came to earth from heaven to save us. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him? Do you believe in the name of Jesus? Are you now known as a child of God? Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father, 
has made him known. That's who Jesus is, who Jesus truly is. In this series, we're going to be challenged to go beyond what we think we know about Jesus and discover his true identity. The challenge for every one of us today is to know Jesus and to surrender to Jesus. An incomplete picture will not be enough. We need to truly know Jesus in order to experience the full life that Jesus offers. Jesus came to earth for you and me, died on a cross for our sins, and rose on the third day. He returned to heaven to be with the Father and has promised to return for us one day. Have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus? If not, what are you waiting for? We would love to talk to you more about it. You can reach out by emailing me at ksmith at thewocc.com. Jesus is not a painting hanging on a wall. He's the Lord who came to save. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and who he is, what he came to do. God, help us to truly know your son and his will for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.